Welcome to Tomorrow's World. February 22, 2000 was a hot day for that time of year in Independence, Missouri. And it is a day few people who lived in the Kansas City area will ever forget. Let me read one account of what happened that day. Christy Robel of Blue Springs had stopped Tuesday afternoon at a sandwich shop in Independence, leaving six-year-old Jake Robel in her Chevrolet Blazer. While she was gone, a man got into the vehicle. He apparently intended to shove the boy out, but Jake got tangled in the seatbelt outside the car instead. The boy was dragged to his death during a five-mile chase that hit speeds of more than 80 miles per hour. Witnesses said motorists surrounded the car, then wrestled the man to the ground, tied his legs, and waited for police to arrive. When events such as this happen, there are always those who ask, why would a loving God allow such a horrific event to happen? Many people want to know, if God exists, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Why does He allow little children to be abducted, molested, or murdered? If God is love, why does He allow war and suffering? Why disease and deformity? Does God have a mean streak? Does He enjoy seeing us suffer? These are common questions. People want to know the answers, as I'm sure you do. So you don't want to miss this program. Stay tuned, because I'll be right back with the answers. A warm welcome to tomorrow's world to all our friends around the world. When we look around us, we see suffering everywhere, and any rational person wants to know why. If God exists, why does He allow so much suffering, especially of innocent children who are abducted, molested, and even murdered? Why did He let six-year-old Jake Robel be dragged to his death? Is God insensitive? Or has He gone way off where He doesn't see what's happening here below? Does He only see the earth from a distance, as the lyrics of a famous song tell us? From a distance we all have enough, and no one is in need. There are no guns, no bombs, no diseases, no hungry mouths to feed. From a distance we are instruments, marching in a common band, playing songs of home, playing songs of peace. They're the songs of every man. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. From a distance there is harmony, and it echoes through the land. It's the hope of hopes, 
It's the love of loves. It's the heart of every man. On today's program, I'm going to explain why we see so much suffering around us and why the God of love allows it, because there are definite causes and purposes for suffering. We are told that the Creator of all things, the God described in the Bible, is truly a God of love. We can read that in 1 John, the fourth chapter, and in verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So how can a loving God allow children to be abducted, women to be raped, and painful diseases to afflict people everywhere? First, we must realize that we are placing the blame for suffering in the wrong direction. Consider this. A teenage boy is told by his parents not to smoke, as smoking can cause lung cancer, oral cancer, heart disease, emphysema, and a host of other maladies. His parents love him, and they don't want him to hurt himself. But as with so many teens, he decides he would rather listen to his friends and trust his own judgment, and he begins smoking. Thirty years later, he comes down with lung cancer and suffers a painful death. Whose fault is it, his parents or his own? Can we not make the rational judgment that it is his fault? He was warned. His parents did everything they could reasonably do to prevent him from picking up a dangerous habit. But he thought he knew better. In Proverbs, the 14th chapter, verse 12, it warns us against doing what seems to be right in our own eyes and tells us the consequences if we do so. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even though he was warned, the immediate pleasure of fitting in with his peers seemed more important than what might happen decades later. And besides, none of his friends seemed to be adversely affected by smoking. As it tells us in Ecclesiastes, the eighth chapter and verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Trusting our own ways, what seems right in our own eyes, and short-sightedness have been man's problems from the beginning. God used a man by the name of Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. Then at the end of 40 years, after many trials and tests, most of which the children of Israel failed, Moses was inspired to record these words. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, as found in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. There was no ambiguity in the choice. Life and blessings on one side death and curses on the other. But just as with a rebellious teenage son, we think we know better. We think God is keeping something good from us because there is a temporary benefit. For the teenager, the vanity of being accepted and looking good in the eyes of his friends seems worth taking a risk of something that may or may not happen a long way into the future. And it's the same with us as adults. Many people see God's laws as being negative, hindrances to our happiness and well-being. 
But that kind of thinking is wrong-headed. While it is true that man's laws are sometimes flawed, God's are not. It is only through God's laws that we can know true values. His laws define right from wrong. And as the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans the third chapter and in verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. He expands on this concept further in the seventh chapter and in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. The law defines sin for us, but we still have to choose whether to obey or not. And let's face it, there are times when sin looks attractive. Sex prior to marriage or outside of marriage can look very tempting if one is short-sighted. There is no doubt a temporary thrill that goes along with the physical and psychological pleasures. But as with the teen smoker, there is a day of reckoning. Such decisions come with a cost, and the price can be very painful. The Proverbs of the Bible warn us that such actions are short-sighted, foolish, and have painful consequences. Proverbs, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 3, tells us this, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. One of the greatest servants of God was Moses, and he understood the momentary nature of sin. Moses grew up in the household of Pharaoh in Egypt. He had all the luxuries available to one living with the king of one of the greatest nations of his time. We can only imagine what he had and what he gave up. He lived in the comfort of a palace with servants catering to him. The most modern comforts of his day, not available to the common man, were available to him. He had the best of foods, the best of wine, and the best live music presented by the best musicians. But there were also significant temptations to sin that went along with living in that environment. He understood what few understand about the temporary nature of sin and made a choice that few of us would have the courage to make. In Hebrews 11th chapter, beginning in verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 1 John 3, 4 tells us that sin is a transgression of the law. And the New Bible Commentary Revised says this about sin in relation to 1 John 3, verse 4. The essence of sin, then, is disregard for God's law. It is the assertion of oneself against God's revealed way for man. Sin is, in fact, rebellion against our Creator the one who gives us life and only wants what is good for us, just as any loving parent wants to see his children be happy and prosperous. 
God through His law informs us that there are certain things in this life, even though they may seem good to us at the moment, that will always turn out badly in the end. And yes, He wants us to have fun, but He wants us to have fun that is still fun tomorrow and into the future. Look around you at how short-sighted people can be. Some people think it's fun to get drunk, but what happens the next morning? They have something called a hangover. Now, I've never experienced such a thing, but having a splitting headache, along with all the other associated consequences of drinking too much the night before, doesn't exactly appeal to me. If something is truly good, it should still be good tomorrow. Most of our problem can be defined as a lack of respect for our Creator, the one we always want to blame for bad things happening to us. Proverbs 1 verse 7 explains what should be the starting place. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The Bible reveals at least five purposes for suffering, so let's look at them. Purpose number one for suffering is that there are natural consequences for sin. Most of the time the suffering we experience is a result of something that we've done. Actions have consequences, either good or bad. And God tells us in Proverbs 26 verse 2 that there's a principle known as cause and effect. As a bird by wandering, as a swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. Wars cause untold suffering, and the book of James explains the cause of war, something that mankind can't seem to understand. James 4, beginning in verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. When we drop an egg on a hard surface, it breaks. We understand this. So why is it so difficult to understand that there are living laws that govern our actions and that there are consequences for those actions, sometimes very painful consequences. The second purpose for suffering is to show God's love. Now this may sound like a contradiction. How can a God of love cause us to suffer? Sometimes the consequences of sin are more subtle and may take a long time to be seen. But as does a loving father, God occasionally punishes an individual to wake him up. This parent-child relationship is described in Hebrews the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, 
He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. One dramatic example of this is found in the account of King David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba and then arranged for her husband to be killed to cover up their transgression when they discovered she was with child. For a while he thought he had gotten away with it, but Nathan the prophet confronted him in a way that cut him to his heart. And even though he deeply repented of his sins, God pronounced three punishments upon him. The sword would never depart from his house. There would be very serious family conflict, whereas what he had done was in secret, his punishment would be seen openly. The child conceived in that sin would die. You can read the account for yourself in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The first two punishments were probably at least in part natural consequences of David's actions, but the third seems to be wholly God's punishment. David prayed and fasted for seven days trying to persuade God to change his mind about the child, but he didn't. What David did was worthy of death, and although God had mercy on him, God had to communicate to David the seriousness of his transgressions in a way that he would never forget. And it is often more painful to see someone else suffer or die, especially a child, than to do so ourselves. Suffering is a result of God's love. The third purpose for suffering is that it warns others of the consequences of sin. Acts the fifth chapter gives the account of two people, a husband and a wife, who were trying to impress the apostles. They sold a piece of property and gave some of the proceeds to the church. They were free to do with the money as they chose, and they could have kept a portion or for that matter, they could have kept all the proceeds. But they lied and said they were giving all to the church. God intervened and struck them dead for this attempted deception. How did the church react to this dramatic event? We'll see it in Acts the fifth chapter, verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. We can also see this principle in everyday life. When criminals are caught, we punish them, not only because their actions require punishment, but also to send a message to society as a whole that certain actions will not be accepted. So suffering warns others. The fourth purpose for suffering is that it focuses our attention on that which is truly important. In 2 Kings 20, we read of King Hezekiah being afflicted with a dangerous boil that could have taken his life. In fact, God told him to set his house in order because he was going to die. Now, there's nothing that gets our attention more than hearing that we're going to die. Hezekiah reacted as some of us might. He cried out to God with all his heart, with tears and sorrow. And God gave him a reprieve, an additional 15 years of life. Let's be honest with ourselves. We all like things to go smoothly. We would rather be at a party than a funeral. But Ecclesiastes 7 verse 3 contains a jewel of truth that we find difficult to accept. Sorrow is better than laughter, 
for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. If we never suffered, and if life in this flesh were for eternity, would we ever stop and consider the true values of life? Or would we live selfish, unhappy lives eternally? Sadly, it is only through pain and suffering that we learn many important lessons. Psalm 90, verses 10 and 12 tell us this. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The fourth purpose for suffering is that it focuses our attention on that which is truly important. The fifth purpose for suffering is that it helps us to have compassion for others. We're instructed in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Yes, in this life, as we have already seen, there are reasons to weep. But if our own lives are without sorrow, how can we relate to others who are going through trials and tests? Do you realize that Jesus Christ learned valuable lessons by the things He suffered? That's what the Bible teaches. Breaking into a thought, we read in Hebrews, the fifth chapter, verse 7, In the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and was heard because of His godly fear, though He was a son, yet He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. Note this from Hebrews, the second chapter. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And also, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So why does God allow even little children to suffer? How else would we learn? God wants us to know that our actions affect the innocent. It is our sins that bring about suffering of the innocent. Could God stop these atrocities? Yes, He could. But we would never learn the lesson. There have to be consequences to our choices, and we can never say He did not warn us. Hosea, the fourth chapter, gives this indictment, along with a chilling warning. Hosea 4 beginning in verse 1. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint, with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Now notice this, because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Remember the teenager who smokes in spite of the warnings by his parents? We too have been warned, but God has made us free moral agents, able to make moral choices, and we wouldn't want it any other way. Can you imagine the protests that would occur if God stopped us from doing everything we might want to do? Consider how angry a teenager gets when he is told no. So whose fault is it when things end up badly? Rather than accept responsibility, we would rather point fingers at God. 
God counsels us not to think it strange when we suffer various afflictions. Suffering is a great teaching tool and it can actually help us draw closer to God. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be. You have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. God has a plan that most do not understand, but there is a happy ending to it. God is giving us the opportunity to build character, to learn His perfect way. He wants us to be part of His family, to live in harmony with Him and with one another for all eternity. And there is coming a time when suffering will have served its purpose and will come to an end. In Revelation, the 21st chapter, verse 4, it gives us this glimpse into the future. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Two critical elements that we have covered in explaining why God allows suffering are sin and love. Did you know that the Bible uses the law to teach us about both of these essential topics? The Ten Commandments teach us about sin by defining it showing us what actions, words, and even thoughts constitute sin and should be avoided. In doing so, they also teach us how to live in harmony with God and our fellow man. If you would like to learn more about these amazing commandments and what adhering to them would mean for your life, please visit our website that will be shown on the screen momentarily and read our informative booklet, The Ten Commandments. You will also find on our website literature on many other important biblical topics. Be sure to come back again next week at this same time and same station to learn more about tomorrow's world when there will be no more pain or sorrow. Until then, goodbye, friends. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The preceding program has been produced by the Living Church of God.